Hello, everyone, and welcome to our panel podcast for March entitled Reopening the Door to Inflation. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Seamus Lyons and Niall MacDonald. Well, the end of February was marked by a sudden spike in volatility. Longer dated bond prices fell and highly valued equities tumbled. The trigger? A bout of nervousness over rising inflation. Joe Biden's first stimulus has now been signed into law. It's so huge it could add one percentage point to global growth for this year. More stimulus measures are planned and monetary policy remains very loose. As vaccines are rolled out and economies reopen, a rebound in growth could well herald a pickup in inflation. So today we'll look at the inflationary signals out there, consider how the markets could react to them. Niall, if we could start with you and the government bond markets, they used to be called the bond vigilantes, always on the lookout for inflation. That role was suppressed after the financial crisis by central banks and their QE programmes. But the bond markets came back with a vengeance last month, giving their own signal of rising inflation. Good morning, Lorna. The phrase bond vigilantes was coined by Ed Yardini back in the 1980s, where he was describing bond market investors that sell bonds nearly like a form of protest when they believe fiscal or monetary policy are considered inflationary. Beginning of the year, the market narrative has really been focused on the inflationary forces that the fiscal expansion and recovery programs post-COVID that governments are employing what inflationary forces it could deliver. So higher inflation means that central banks will have to hike rates in the future to temper this. So longer dated bonds, as you mentioned, so the five-year, 10-year and 30-year bonds have all fallen in price and bond yields have rose. So for reference, the US 10-year, for example, is now at uh, 1.55% as of this morning and US 30 years uh, up to 2.32%. So a year-to-date move of about 0.6%. Now, this might not sound as much But in actual price terms, the U.S. 30-year bond is down 8% since the February in price terms since the 11th of February. And this is indeed a global phenomenon, not just located to the U.S. So we've seen rising rates across global government bond markets. Eurozone government bonds are moving higher, adjusting for the rise in U.S. rates, also arguably pricing in some inflationary forces from their fiscal expansion and recovery programs. And also in Asia and Pacific, the sell-off is just as pronounced. Interestingly, Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia are even more pronounced with their 10-year rates rising nearly 1%. These are quite cyclical and commodity-sensitive economies, so pricing in higher rates to stem price rises. So commodities and inflation usually move hand in hand. So arguably another inflation dynamic playing out within these markets. Yes, indeed it is. But it is quite an about term for these bond markets where we've all got used to rock bottom yields. Is it fair to say that governments would prefer to keep rates very low to pay for all this fiscal stimulus? It's an interesting point, Lorna. For governments, the rise in yields is kind of a victim of your success scenario. Government yields are rising because markets believe that the fiscal programs will bring about an economic expansion and the associated inflationary forces that are a consequence. However, this will engender higher borrowing costs. If we think of what the central banks are are thinking, the Fed chairman in a recent webinar stated that the rise in yields had been noticed, and I'm paraphrasing now, but there was no change in their existing purchase plans or policy. The ECB, however, has taken a different perspective and are concerned that the higher yields could heighten financial conditions in the Eurozone and hinder the recovery. And on Thursday, they've increased the pace of their pandemic purchase program to help temper these yield rises. 
But if we think about, you know, corporate and government's ability to finance their debt as a consideration for central bank policy, if you think of this in terms of numbers, so there's 80 trillion in outstanding corporate and government debt in the US. So for every 1% rise, this brings about an 800 billion additional in borrowing costs. So I think central banks will be bearing this into consideration as the knock-on implications of tightening financial conditions from the rise in yields. These are are very big numbers, and it's certainly enough to spook the equity markets, in particular the US at the end of February. Could you give us a flavour of what happened there, Seamus? Hi, Lorna. In the second half of Feb and into early March as well, actually, we saw a bit more volatility in equity markets, particularly in the US, as investor nervousness related to the rising bond yields spilled over into equity markets. But in saying that, the absolute levels of markets they did not actually deviate too much. The selling was a lot more pronounced in certain parts of the market, specifically growth-orientated sectors. So these sectors have performed very strongly in recent years, particularly last year in 2020. Investors have been willing to pay a higher premium for the future growth these companies are expected to deliver. So their price-earnings ratios, these have expanded a lot in recent times. But now with inflation expectations growing, bond yields rising, it makes these future earnings of these companies a bit less attractive. And this in turn makes them look more expensive. So the market has been punishing these high PE stocks for the last few weeks. So the NASDAQ, you know, this is a good barometer for these high growth, high PE stocks. And that's actually been going through a mini correction of sorts since, since mid-February. But we have seen strength in some areas of the market. Is this in response to reflation or inflation signals? Yes. So the other side of this recent market dynamic is that we've seen cyclical stocks, or more broadly speaking, value stocks, They've done reasonably well during this period. Firstly, they're not impacted to the same extent by rising interest rates. In fact, some areas such as financials, these are beneficiaries of higher interest rates, and we've seen these do quite well in recent weeks. And secondly, they're driven by different factors. Most expect the US economy to recover strongly from the second half of this year and into 2022. And this economic recovery should benefit certain sectors more, typically industrials, energy, materials, consumer discretionary, i.e. the more value-oriented sectors. So in a way, it is a continuation of this, the Biden reflation trade of last autumn with markets really just anticipating a boost to growth. In many ways, yes, it is. In fact, it's actually the the approval of President Biden's large 1.9 trillion fiscal stimulus package. This is actually what's got the bond and equity market spooked somewhat because the US economy is strengthening already and is expected to really pick up later this year as we move into the post-COVID world. And you combine this with the big fiscal package from Joe Biden, you know, there's worries that maybe there is too much stimulus there when it's not necessarily needed, you know, that maybe we're actually adding too much fuel to the fire. In any case, you're right, we are seeing a continuation of the Biden reflation trade. So we're seeing bond yields rise. And in the equity space, we're seeing cyclicals, value stocks, small caps. They're all doing very well at the moment. Yes, thanks for that. So how do we think the story will play out from here? We had Janet Yellen, who's now the Treasury Secretary. She's famously encouraged President Biden to act big in pumping stimulus into the economy. These are great words, but they also are potentially dangerous to markets, as we've seen with this, the rising volatility. Well, Lorna, the recovery plans, they're bold and ambitious, and some economists, and I believe rightly so, are describing this as the biggest economic policy shift since Nixon broke the US dollar off the gold standard back in the 70s. Biden is planning to announce a massive infrastructure program later this year, could be over 15% of GDP. And we've seen rising volatility, and I think this will continue, because as of yet, we haven't seen any tangible proof on this inflationary impulse. The market is pricing it in, but we haven't seen the tangible benefits. And most importantly, 
I think for a secular shift in inflation, we have to see wage inflation, and this has not been apparent. The Democrats have had to drop the minimum wage from the proposed legislation recently due to Republicans and some Democrats not supporting it. And some of the secular forces that have kept inflation low are still dominant. Aging demographics, very high debt levels and technology. The infrastructure bill and the ability for the US government to engender wage inflation are critical to any structural shift in inflation. Without that, the lower for longer interest rate bull market could re-emerge and smack this bond bear in the teeth. That's very interesting. And so labour market data are the ones we should be watching. And Seamus, how does this spill over into the equity markets? I actually think we're going to continue to see more of the same. So there are more tailwinds behind the cyclical and value trade, and there's more headwinds against the growth stocks trade. You mentioned the labour market. I think that the Fed's going to remain very focused on the labour market. The unemployment rate may well remain stubbornly high for an extended period. You know, they have the Fed has a dual mandate to keep on top of full employment. And as such, they're going to keep interest rates low and monetary policy as accommodative until this picture improves. So rates to remain low until at least somewhere well into 2023. This is positive for economic growth. And so it's positive for stocks as well. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Lorna. Thank you, Lorna.